It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's up, Gator Nation? Welcome into another episode of the Gators Online Podcast. Zach Albaverde, Nick Del Torre here, and it is NFL Draft Week. A lot of exciting times, obviously, with that coming up in Vegas. Nick? Yeah, I just had my first Vegas experience uh, mm. not too long ago. Um, I still I, need I think, mine. I think I had enough of Vegas. Like that, we, it, was a, it was a long bachelor party. Um, uh, did not feel great Sunday night on the red eye back home. Um, and then at least you had a red eye and then fly from Vegas to Orlando, get there. And then now it's 2 AM and I got to drive from Orlando back to Gainesville. It was, that was a, had a lot more fun in Vegas than, than coming back from Vegas. That's usually how it goes. Yeah. Um, so obviously should be some fun for the Florida Gators. I expect to hear their name called over the next three days. Obviously Kyrie Elam being the headliner. We'll Mm. see if he goes first round tonight. And on today's show, we will have Trevor Sycamore from Pro Football Focus on to talk about the Gators in this draft, kind of what he thinks about him and what they're kind of bringing to the next level. So uh, obviously, always good to get his thoughts and and perspective. And and these guys over at PFF do a great job. So uh, we'll hear from Trevor after this break. But uh, Nick, I I think we're kind of getting to the topic of the week, right? And that's uh, NILs. Name, image, and likeness. Man, and it's not like we haven't talked about before it's been a topic i think in college sports but i think here close to home and in the state of florida specifically uh, we saw some effects of it and the impact that it can have with the recruitment of daryl jackson a transfer defensive lineman Mm -hmm. but uh you know the way that this thing played out you would have thought he was the number one player in the country um (laughs) but nonetheless uh he was a guy that was actually scheduled to visit Florida this weekend, which was first reported by uh, Corey Bender at Gators Online. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you guys subscribe, you knew that. And then Miami saw that that visit was happening, and more specifically, it's Collective and Ruiz. And then they decided to make a play to uh, offer him an NIL deal that he and I'm sure his family could not resist. And he made no bones about hiding the fact that that factored into his decision because he literally tagged life wallet in his tweet. Yep. Um, so that that's where we're at. And as I mentioned on our message board, you know, fans, and we'll talk about this here in this first segment, Nick fans can get upset about it uh, all they want, but you know, in terms of how it relates with where this class is at and, and recruiting efforts so far this year. But I would say that the coaches didn't drop the ball. Ruiz dropped another bag. That's um, where we're at. Like people that are as as wealthy as he is, you know, um, you, you're always looking at return on investment. And I don't know what the return on investment for giving uh, a Kansas State basketball player an, a two-year $800,000 contract. I don't know if there is a return on that investment other than you really want to see the University of Miami do well in sports. Um, I don't know. Kind of like you said, it's a Maryland defensive tackle transfer. And look, listen, he looks the part. Six foot six, big kid. Um, 
I don't know what the return on investment is when you're, when you're, you know, cause obviously something happened. He was supposed to come back to Florida yeah. for a visit this weekend and something happened uh, last weekend or, or this, this past week in the past couple of days um, that made him say, you know what? I'm not taking that trip, not taking that trip anymore. So, uh, I mean, with the amount of money he's, he's getting, he probably could have chartered a private flight from Coral Gables to, to Gainesville and made it a quick, a quick trip. So that's, that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. And it was funny. I saw, um, I think it was Stuart Mandela on Twitter say it's wild, like how blatant the cheating is, but is it cheating if it's not enforced? And, and if you're not, if we're not enforcing rules, then are there rules? Yeah. Um, and it seems like Florida wants to play by these, maybe at this point, even self-enforced rules. Cause the NCAA has washed their hands of it. And, and and they're kind of like, we didn't want this, and now you guys get whatever you get. And it's like, well, you're the enforcement body yeah. of of this. Well, you saw President Mark Emmer said, "I'm I'm bowing out." Yeah, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm he's done, done after some, June yeah, 2023. He's done so many great things. He's yeah. vacating his wins, is what he's doing. <laughs> he's not retiring. He's vacating his wins. Well, and I, I I do think that if if anything of all the drama and and scandal that's happened with NCAA, this is the thing that drives him out. Um, and I think it's driving a lot of people out of the sport and, and and there was you know a great piece this week about how it's kind of affected coaches lives and um you know just all the demands that come from transfer portal to nil to roster management to keeping everybody happy and you know we reported that at, at gators online this week about the gator collective signing four of florida's top players to new nil deals the day after they got this five million dollar investment from gator guard and hugh hathcock and i think that was a huge step in the right direction for Florida uh, and Hugh, Hugh kind of leading those efforts. And uh, they need more people on the Gator Guard. Mm. And, and they still need to kind of reach a, a point that that they're aiming towards uh, to where they have tens of millions of dollars in NIL funds. And if you think that that's too much or far-fetched, there's already schools that are there. That's just to, that's just to keep Florida's roster together right now. Per that's, year. Yeah. Per year. That's, that's, not, that's not, okay, we want to go. I mean, Tennessee allocated eight million dollars to one, one quarterback kid. in this class so when 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 people are getting mad you know that colin castleton's getting uh an nil deal or that trey dean's getting an nil deal like you the every single year it's not just you know got uh, other schools coming after a jason marshall a jervon yeah. dexter a uh, brenton cox there's gonna be schools that are gonna come after uh a cory collier hey you haven't played yet you know we've only been on campus here but, but you, you were a five-star but you're a five-star. We can get you an NIL deal here. Yeah. You're going to need tens of millions of dollars, 10, 12, 15, $20 million just to keep your roster happy every year. Yeah. And and here's the thing right now, there's, you mentioned Colin Castleton. He's the lone hoops basketball player that's under contract with the Gator Collective right now. And then there's currently 16 football players, Anthony Richardson being the latest signing. There's two more that are coming that I know of. And I think here in the coming weeks and months, you'll probably see upwards of 50 people signed to the Gator Collective because they all need to be under contract. And, so don't, that, and, don't think that, and don't think that Anthony Richardson's re-signing with the Collective is, is a weird timing. Obviously, um, they, weren't, they weren't the only school offering him NIL, NIL No, let's, let's, let's be honest about that. And I, I think if Florida wasn't in a position to where they, they've gotten to the point from fundraising and some of the efforts led by Hugh that they could offer these NIL deals and be in this position. I mean, fans are upset about missing out on Jackson. 
imagine how worse she would feel if <laughs> Anthony Richardson or Jervon Dexter or Jason Marshall were in the transfer portal right now because mm -hmm. of offers that they were fielding from other collectives. That's just the reality of the situation. And Florida still has work to do on that front. We'll talk a lot about it after after this first break. But uh, I, I do kind of want to open the show addressing some of these topics. Obviously, we have the NFL draft tonight. So we're going to jump to our commercial. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by Trevor Sikama from PFF to get his perspective on these Gators in the 2022 NFL draft. Hi, Steve Spurrier here. You know, making a reservation at my restaurant is easier than a Saturday afternoon homecoming game against Vandy. You don't have to call or email. Just go to Spurriers.com, hit the reservation button, pick a date, number of guests, and a time. It's so simple, I can do it. In fact, I just did. Maybe I'll see you tonight. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back into the Gators Online Podcast, and we are now joined by our special guest for NFL Draft Week, Trevor Sikama from Pro Football Focus, an analyst and host with PFF. Trevor, appreciate the time today, man. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely. This and is noted uh, Gator great, Trevor Sikama. Let's, 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 <laughs> let's have to mention that. It's, we got all the Florida fans excited about this one. So this is obviously, Trey, your favorite time of the year, but maybe in some ways your least favorite time of the year because you're super busy. <laughs> Um, what's it been like, first of all, just kind of getting ready for the draft at PFF and, and everything that leads up to this day. No, man, it, it's the favorite time of the year. No doubt about it. Uh, sleep is at a premium these last couple of weeks, just getting ready, uh, being ready for everything. Um, uh, fortunate enough to be able to host the draft show that we're going to have all three days over at PFF. So I'm very, very excited for that, but a lot of preparation, getting to know a lot of these names really well, finalizing my own big boards, my final mock drafts, all that kinds of stuff. But this is why I do it. This is why I love it. Um, having this kind of job, working with these kinds of people is a great company to work for at PFF. We have so many different resources and tools and everything, man, that just uh, helps me do this job and it makes it even more fun for me. So it's been a lot of fun over the last, not just a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but really going back into the season as well, watching these college players, see how they've grown over the last couple of years up to now becoming draft eligible, going through this process, man. It's, it's always a blast. I love learning how guys have grown, where they've come from, their backgrounds, their stories, and then you know, the, the them eventually becoming pros, which we're going to see later this week. So it's exciting times, man, no doubt about it. And then obviously the headliner tonight for Florida fans is Kyir Elam, a guy hoping to hear his name called in the first round. He's obviously been, I, I think, a player that NFL coaches and scouts have been eyeing for a long time, as have analysts like yourself. Um, what has he done Trevor to get himself to this point where he's, you know, obviously in, in the first round conversation and kind of what is he bringing to the next level? Yeah. So I think what everybody's going to love about Kyrie Elam is that he allows you to play the most coveted role of a cornerback. And that is a press man coverage corner, right? You know, their defense is such a chemistry driven unit. It really has to be all 11 guys working together for it to work out really well. 
but there's different ways to do that. Or should I say, there's more aggressive ways to do that sometimes. And the most aggressive way to do it is if you've got guys who can play man coverage on the outside with a single high safety up at the top, which allows you to bring a strong safety down, bring all sorts of pressure towards the pocket, really pressure the quarterback and everything going on around the line of scrimmage. But you can only do that if you trust your guys on the outside to be able to cover on an island in man coverage. Kair Elam has that kind of ability. He has that kind of mentality. He has that kind of confidence. And that's what teams really love about him. He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. His 40-yard dash was really great to see at uh, in Indianapolis at the Combine because that was a big question mark around him. The other thing that I think really is holding him back from being a surefire top 20 pick or somebody that would be picked in the top half of the first round is – you know, he is a little bit grabby and he, he draws some penalties here and there. He's got to get that cleaned up because it only gets more difficult in the NFL to hang with those kinds of receivers that are bigger, faster, stronger. And then, you know, you see a little bit, it's just, this is natural, but he's a taller corner. So he is high waisted as if you will, he's got longer legs. And so sometimes it takes him a little bit longer to turn those hips and flip and really put the foot in the ground and stay with guys and stay in the hip pocket. Like you would see with corners who are maybe more, five foot 10, five foot 11. It's a little bit easier for them just because their bodies are more compact, but all of those things is kind of like, look, you want the guy to be aggressive. So he's going to get his hands in there. He's going to have hand usage. You're going to have to live with some of the penalties and that's fine. And then if you want a bigger, longer corner, yeah, they're probably going to be a little bit taller and the hips are going to flip a little bit slower. So it's nothing out of the ordinary. It's something that I think when you look at the good in his tape and what he brings to the table, that tells you he's got first round ability, but We'll see. First round, second round. I know he's a top 50 guy for sure. We'll just have to see where he ends up going. With him, he was, what do you think maybe caused him to slide a little bit, if anything? Because we were looking at him going into the season, um, and he had a a fine year, but going into the season as a surefire top 20 first round pick. What, if anything, made him slide? Or is it guys like Derek Stingley and, and Sauce Gardner that are just maybe, you know, valued higher? Yeah, I think it's, it's a little bit, of both, but I'd say the latter goes heavily into it, right? If Sauce Garner didn't have this incredible rise over the last two years, mm-hmm. I think we'd be talking about Kyrie Elam a little bit more in the top 20 just because we know teams are going to covet this kind of corner. But with Sauce there, Derek Stingley, obviously everybody knows the ability that he has. Trent McDuffie playing extremely well out at Washington and people paying attention to his film. Shoot, Trent McDuffie's teammate, Kyler Gordon, being in the conversation as well. Andrew Booth is also there, the the talented corner from Clemson. And so there's just a lot of guys Mm. to talk about to potentially choose from in this class that I think Elam's name gets a little bit lost because you do have to kind of get over some of those negatives that you saw, right? If he's, if he's getting too many penalties in college football, a lot of people worry about whether or not he can hang with these receivers at the NFL level. They go, okay, well, if if he had too many penalties in college, What's that going to be when the receivers get better, when they get more technical, mm. when they get quicker, faster, all the stronger, all that kinds of stuff. So I think that that's a little bit of a worry with him and why his name is sort of cluttered with what would be that second tier of cornerbacks instead of maybe more at the top where we saw him go with super early mock drafts as a, as a top 15, top 10 guy. I think that mm. that's probably the main reason why you see him a little bit lower. And then obviously looking at some of the other Gators that expect to hear their names called Trevor uh, different drafts have either Zach Carter coming off the board after Elam or some have Damian Pierce coming off the board after Elam. Which guy do you think will hear their name called uh, after him? I think it's going to be Damian Pierce. 
it all depends how this running back class goes, right? Like if we, if there's a chance we get a running back in round one, like if Brees Hall, who we expect to be the top running back off the board, if he goes in the first round, then that kind of accelerates how quickly running backs are going to get picked after him. Sure. Right. Because if he goes in the first round, then all of a sudden a running back needy team at the top of the second, they're going to want to jump all over Kenneth Walker. And then if the, both of those guys are off the board, well, then it becomes a big preference of who you like. And I think a lot of teams are going to love Damian Pierce. I mean, shoot, you guys covered him throughout his whole Gator career. Who doesn't love Damian Pierce? When the guy <laughs> walks in the room, he just, he lights up the room. He's so charismatic. He's so honest. He loves the game of football. His tape is fantastic. I think he was underutilized it at Florida. I think a lot of people would agree with me, but that also means that he doesn't have those tread on the tires. And this is a power back determined back who went into mobile Alabama, at the senior bowl. And, you know, I, there was a moment where the end of practice, the coaches like to do one-on-ones, one offensive player, one defensive player. And it's almost for bragging rights for the practice, right? Day one, they had an offensive tackle that had Darian Kennard go up against Jermaine Johnson and Jermaine Johnson got the better of him on the defensive side. Day two, They had Damian Pierce go one-on-one with Appalachia State linebacker DeMarco Jackson in a pass-blocking drill. And it is one-on-one. Jackson went straight at him, and Damian Pierce stoned this dude straight up. (laughs) He tried to counter him. Damian Pierce mirrored him perfectly, wouldn't let him go. You know, the offense goes crazy after that because he wins the rep. And, like, that's that's what you're getting with Damian Pierce. You're getting a determined runner and a determined football player, not just with the ball in your hands, but also doing all the dirty work too. And I think that's the kind of stuff that's going to stand out on a big board of a, hey, if we can't get Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker, give me this guy. Let's go get this guy. And I think there's going to be enough teams that are going to think like that of Damian Pierce where I believe he'll probably be a late day two, maybe early day three pick in the third or fourth round, where Zach Carter could still be in that range as well. But I got a feeling that Damian Pierce is going to pick, be picked a little bit ahead of him. And I'm not sure if this uh, helps or hurts his draft stock, but after a game um, at Florida, he told us how they grew up hunting hogs um, in, in Georgia. Um, not with guns, just with knives in their hands. Um, so that's the kind of that's the kind of person that Damian Pierce is. Eight years old, nine years old, running around in the forest, uh, hunting a hog with a way more knife. active than you. Yeah, I was I was playing I was playing baseball. I was probably playing coach pitch. Eight years old, and Damian Pierce is hunting a hog with a knife in his hand. Gangster. We're built differently. <laughs> that's it, though. That's the only thing you. Other than that, you and Damian Pierce very similar. That, Very was, that, was, that was really the only thing that was holding you back from us talking about you as a potential second. Yeah. Round. I think I took a knife to a baseball one time just to see what was inside of it. So maybe even not that, not, <laughs> yeah. not too far off. Just, just wasn't challenging enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, you know, Trevor, I think, uh, you know, Zach Carter was looking for a challenge by coming back this past season. He's a guy that could have turned pro after the 2020 year uh, came back and, and improved his numbers in a lot of spots, but also kind of settled in at, at one position. Um, what do you think, you know, the NFL holds for him and what do teams like about his, his skill set? And, you know, you talk about him kind of honing in on one position, but honestly, I think versatility is his biggest strength at this point. He's got so much, yeah. he's got such a great background at so many different spots along the defensive line. And, you know, before I was working for PFF and, and covering things nationally, I, I worked at the Draft Network, but I also worked at Pewter Report down in Tampa Bay. And I got to cover that team as a beat reporter there. And I got to interact with a lot of coaches, head coaches, assistant coaches, everything. And, you know, the more I talk to them about trench play, the more it's like, 
hey, until you learn or until you earn a starting spot at one, one place, either as a, a three technique defensive tackle, a nose tackle, an edge rusher, something, until you earn a starting spot at one of those, we want you to be able to come in and be a rotational guy at as many spots as possible because we never know who's going to go down. We never know who's going to get gassed, who needs a break at the third quarter or whatever. And so the same can be said with offensive line as well. Zach Carter presents a team with that versatility. And I think that's going to be his biggest strength. Now, I think it'll kind of vary from team to team who wants him more as a heavier interior guy or who might want him to lose a little bit of weight, see if they can up the speed a little bit, have a more full time out on the edge. It just kind of depends where he ends up going, what scheme, what's coaching staff wants that from him. But that allurement I think casts a very wide net for him. It's not like there are only specific teams. Like there are a couple of guys that, you know, for example, Nick Benito is a guy from Oklahoma who a lot of people oh, yeah, talk remember about in this him. draft class, right? Uh, and, from St. Thomas Aquinas, I believe. <laughs> oh, it's, okay. There you go. You had to shout that out. Or I didn't even know that. So I didn't even know I was Ali. He right did. There. That's just a note for your show on Thursday. Okay. There we go. I make sure I'll get the St. Thomas Aquinas shout out because Florida football is king. But, you know, you look at him. And there's a lot of people who love his flashes at Oklahoma. They go, hey, this guy's a really great pass rusher. And I would agree. There's only one role he can play. He is a mm-hmm. stand-up, two-point stance, fast outside linebacker. Not every team is going to be able to utilize that kind of a player. Almost every team in the NFL is going to like what Zachary Carter could be for them because that could be a variety of different things. So ultimately, I think he's probably going to be a mid-round pick somewhere around the fourth round, maybe third round. Who knows if somebody really likes that versatility on him. But that's kind of the way I see him and, and what his stock is. What's the difference between, you know, a, a guy, I, guess, I mean, there's obviously guys, you know, that uh, are at a premium and can play all those different positions, but what's the difference between um, a, a guy, like you say, like Benito, who, Hey, he's one thing. This is what he is. He's Heinz ketchup. That's all he is. That's his one condiment um, versus a guy like Zach Carter. Is it just really, does it just come down to how a different team would value um, that versatility versus someone who's really good at one specific thing. It all comes down to how strong your strength is, I think. And you can take that into any position. Like, shoot, we go over to wide receiver. There's so many different flavors of wide receiver, right? Mm-hmm. I look at a guy like Drake London from USC, who I like a lot, but Drake London is not a yards after catch speed demon kind of a wide receiver if you're looking for that you're not going to like that from him drake london kind of does one thing really well but he does that really really well which is why i think that he's still a first rounder he is a contested catch alpha when the ball is in the air he turns 50 50 balls into more 80 20 he's been unbelievable at that every phase of his career with that basketball background and so you look at that and you go yeah okay he's a little bit more one-dimensional But that one dimension, he's Mm. incredible at. He's elite at. So that, I think, the measure of how strong a strength is matters a lot to players that maybe aren't as versatile. And I think that you can sometimes even see first-round players like a Drake London or or maybe like just like a normal speed back, something like that. Those players can still get drafted in the first round but they have to be very elite at that one thing. Whatever their trump card is, if you will, to quote Matt Harmon, who kind of brought up that, that, that term, which I really love. Whatever that trump card is, it has to be strong enough to truly stand out at the pro level. So that's mm. really what it matters and, and, and how strong that is can determine how high you go, how 
maybe average that is, that really, I guess, pigeonholes you into maybe being more of a mid to late round prospect. And then the fourth guy that went to Indianapolis for the Gators trade that and is expected to potentially hear his name called on Saturday is Jeremiah Moon, a guy who I think NFL scouts and analysts have always kind of drooled over his potential, but has always been held back by injuries. Um, what do you think his ceiling is? And, and, and obviously teams that are still maybe trying to get a steal, hopefully by picking him in the seventh round, Yeah, or maybe I mean, even higher. Right. I think that he has a chance to go a little bit higher, right? He played a different position this past season out of a necessity. And so I think that he's going to be more of somebody that teams want to play on the edge because what he brings to the table is that ball of clay of athleticism, right? You, you don't know what the ceiling is with this guy, but you hope it's fantastic. He just really, I, again, needs to kind of get in on a singular role with the team. And he's going to be, I think, one of more of those streamlined guys who he is an edge rush kind of a player. You're going to want to be getting the most out of his athleticism from a speed perspective, probably. And you're going to want him to attack the line of scrimmage a little bit more than you're going to want him playing off ball linebacker roles. And so you just didn't get to see a lot of that um, recently from him. And I think that's probably why the height for him isn't great, but I think he's a draftable guy. I really do. Cause I think that he's got the traits that a lot of people like, and, and that a lot of coaches are going to want to develop. That's what you do. You take a chance on these guys, maybe you stash them on the practice squad for a couple of years or heck, Maybe even those athletic guys can really stand out on special teams. They can start making the 53-man roster and maybe contribute for you enough in the preseason, uh, late in games, giving you good rotation. And that's kind of what I see from Jeremiah. It's just, it, it's been, I, I think his position in the NFL is going to be as an edge rusher. And we just didn't get to see that a lot this past year. So I think that it's, it, it kind of hurt his hype in that way, but that's yeah. how I think the NFL is going to see him. And, and Florida moved him to middle linebacker out of necessity after. Right. Ben Trell went down, mm -hmm. so you know he was—he's kind of stuck there. And that's not where—not not where he'll play on Sundays. No, it's not. As Trey talked about, uh, found a few things for you, Trey, uh, from speaking with Trey Sigma from Pro Football Focus. Uh, is there any other guys that you foresee either potentially hearing their name called or just getting an opportunity as an undrafted free agent that you think might have a chance to stick with an NFL team? Certainly, a guy like Malik Davis is, is I think, uh, a name that that fans are maybe watching for. Yeah, I mean, Malik is somebody who I hope gets a chance. He was somebody who I had a lot of high hopes on when he when he came to Florida first and just, you know, injuries and different coaching staffs and different usage, I think, just really hurt him there. So I hope he gets a chance at the pros because I think he's a, a really nice athletic scat back, kind of a running back that could really help out a team or, or bring up the depth in a um, a third down role that he might be able to have as a pass catcher. And so I think that he could he have a place, but it's going to be an uphill climb for him. Another guy I would say is Gene DeLance, who I got the chance to sit down and I get to talk with him at the East West Shrine Bowl. And I asked him a question that I like asking guys where I said, scouts come to you and say, we want to see your best tape or we want, what game should we turn on to watch Gene DeLance to have the best impression of? And he said Alabama. And I was like, against Will That's Anderson? Like are, are you, yeah. like, are you crazy? Like, nobody's saying go watch the tape of me versus Will Anderson. <laughs> nobody's saying that. And he, and he, I, I said that to him in the interview, and he kind of laughed. And he's like, look, Will obviously got the better of me. And, and sometimes the, those Alabama defensive linemen got the better of me. But I also got the better of them. 
And there were reps where I beat them on certain reps or I stoned them on a speed rush or I didn't let them hit an inside move. And he said, that's the one where I would want scouts to go see that I can hang with the best competition. Work with me. Let's get some coaching down. Let's get some reps under my belt at the pro level and I can become a good player for you. So I love that answer. I love that approach. This is a guy who understands what his stock is. He's probably going to be a lower draft pick, maybe an undrafted free agent. But that kind of work, that kind of mentality, I love to hear. And so I think if, you know, if he kept that kind of perspective throughout his interviews and throughout the draft process, I think the teams are going to are gonna like this guy and he's going to definitely make some uh, camp for sure. I would have told you to watch my FAU film. <laughs> Go back when we played uh, <laughs> North, Southeastern, Westerly Tech. And uh, I, had some, I had a great game. Yeah. Great game. Go watch that one. And I will say to his credit, man, he he really improved from 2020 to 2021. So, um, well, well, listen, before we let you go, at the end of the day, you are Tampa Bay Trey, as we all know. We cannot let you leave before getting some Kyle Trash talk from you. Um, obviously, you know, Tom deciding to come back has delayed the inevitable, as we all know. Um, but, 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 what, what do you think of as a, as a Dolphin fan? I don't think Tom Brady's ever going to retire. <laughs> He's Tom Brady's going to play until I die. <laughs> well, I hope because I mean, it's just going to be in Tampa. Stop it. <laughs> stop it. But whenever he does, uh, you know, is Kyle Trask going to be ready to take the reins? And what is kind of you've heard or, 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 you know, some of the things that you've uncovered in his first year in Tampa? So I'm going to be honest with you guys. I loved Kyle Trask when he was at Florida. Uh, I was one of those guys who I wanted him to play over Felipe Franks, like even early on, even the early stages when Felipe just started. I I thought that Kyle Trask had the more accurate arm. I loved what he was able to do with touch passes, how he saw the field. And I got, I understood that he wasn't the most athletic quarterback in the world, but I love what his arm was able to do. We were able to see that in that last year with Florida having that prolific offense with him as the quarterback. But I was extremely shocked to see the Bucs pick him in the second round, especially because Brady was on the team at the time. And you were in a winning window with Brady on the team. Why did you spend a second round pick on a guy who, best case scenario, does not play for you, doesn't play for you for the next two years? And the thing is, guys, it's not that they, it's not like they drafted him in the first round. They don't have the fifth year option on him. So he's a rookie last year. He doesn't play. He's not going to play this upcoming year for sure because they brought Blaine Gabbert back as well. They've got that veteran experience. He's not going to play then. Best case scenario is he plays for the first time in the third year of his rookie contract, and there's no telling whether Brady will hang it up next year because he played at an MVP at his level this past year, and they like what they have in Blaine Gabbert. And so I don't know how much Kyle Trask can show you while not playing football that you would want to go to him without a doubt next year. So it's just, and Kyle Trask, a fine quarterback. I just, the the fit in Tampa, the timing never made any sense for me. And I don't know if he's ever going to be the Bucks starting quarterback because of the awkward timing. I think that he might, uh, he might have to go somewhere else for that. So I guess we'll see. It's going to be interesting, but uh, it might be up to Tom. Yeah, right. I'm that's what it is. And so I'm, I'm just, uh, I was, I was very perplexed by that pick at the time. I still very much am. I like Kyle. I'd like for him to get a chance. I just don't know if we ever see that in Tampa. Well, 
We know I'm one so thing. Sick of Tom Brady. I think Kyle Trask might be on my, but on my team by by some point and be like, yo, I'm also sick of Tom Brady. He is 67 years old. How is he still playing in the NFL <laughs> at an elite level, mind you? Um, yeah, um, correct. Right, but, right. He'll he'll win MVP at, at 66. Is what yeah. you, is what you forgot to leave out. Hopefully, hopefully he goes. You know, the other side of the hill is at 67, and then maybe the Dolphins can finish second behind the Bills. Uh, in the division, we, we just we just know that uh, Kyle Trask has has no problem with a backup role. He he, <laughs> he totally can, can handle that and, and and not not create any locker room drama or quarterback That's controversy. Sure. Um, happy to sure. be here. Real quick before we let you go, Trey Kadarius Tony. Um, w- what do you think of him and and, and what is it going to take for him to kind of find his groove in the NFL? And is I mean, the trade talk real? Yeah, I think the trade talk's real. I think that they. Certainly, I don't think it was fabricated that they made some calls about him, but I don't think they're imminent to trade him. I don't think it's like dire, but you know, I, it's there were talks of Kadarius Tony and like, hey, this is one of the most unique athletes in the draft, but not every team's gonna love him with how he interviewed. And look, I, I always hate saying that stuff because I've never met him, like, I've never talked to him. So, I, I, I it's it is such an awkward part of this business talking somebody's character when you haven't even met them. So I never even love to bring, I never even like to bring that up. I have to note it if it is newsworthy, which is apparently the thing with Kadarius Tony, but I can only go with what I saw on the field. One of the most unique athletes I've ever seen in my life, balance, athleticism, flexibility. It doesn't make any sense sometimes. And so there's a reason why the giants picked him as early as they did. I don't know whether he's going to stick, but I, I know that they, Definitely fielded some calls on him. They definitely put the feelers out there, but whether or not they're going to trade him, I, I, I don't think it's like imminent or anything. I don't think he's demanding for a trade. I don't think they're trying to get anything for him. So we'll see. It's, it's going to be interesting to monitor this year, but unless something really goes wrong during this mini camp and OTA period, I still think he's going to be on the New York Giants next year. Absolutely. Well, we know that you're going to be on the PFF show hosting the NFL draft, man. We're looking forward to it. Obviously all the coverage that you guys provide, uh, you've done a fabulous job getting us ready uh, for this time of year that we all look forward to and uh, in Vegas uh, this time. So that's going to be fun. Uh, We really appreciate the time, man. And uh, let all the folks know where they can follow you and read your work. Sure. Yeah. At Tampa Bay Trey on Twitter, PFF.com for all my written stuff. I got my final big board, final mock draft coming out. We got the PFF show, which I appreciate you guys shouting out. We'll be live all three days of the draft. And then also uh, after your listeners listen to this podcast, which is, of course, appointment listening, uh, NFL Stock Exchange, a draft podcast that I host with Connor Rogers three days a week, which is a lot of fun. So, yeah, come check me out there. Busy man. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he's going to get some vacation time after well, this like week, a, hopefully. We hope. You're like an accountant and it's like tax day. That's that's except you like, except you like what you do. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is very, very true. But yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. This is a blast. Absolutely. Take care, Trey. Looking for more reasons to celebrate? We have them here at Celebration Point. Enjoy some of the newest additions to our already celebratory lineup, like Dave & Buster's, Le Macaron, and Prime & Pearl. There's always a reason to celebrate. Join us anytime for any occasion. Celebration Point, where gators come to celebrate. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. 
Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome back into the Gators Online Podcast. Appreciate Trevor for joining us in the last segment and talking NFL draft and Florida Gators and uh, had to get his take on my man Kyle Trask. Doesn't sound like he was too happy about that pick, but he will be in due time. Don't well, worry. Well, yeah. it, uh, it, it's interesting the way he put it because um, it's not a first-round pick, so you don't get that fifth-year option. So, you know, I'd never really thought of it that way. It's obviously, you know, I've got a, a couple of teams that we cover here, uh, so not really thinking too much about with the Bucks and their future, but it doesn't make any sense when you put it that way. It's like, hey, half of the contract that you have him for, you've got the GOAT. Yeah. So there's literally zero chance Kyle Trask is ever starting over Tom Brady. So you're throwing away two years of his contract. Like, it didn't make sense. I guess it didn't make sense for them to draft him. But listen, Kyle Trask is more than happy to sit and learn from Tom Brady and and, and ride out. He's getting nice checks. Yeah. Well, and there's, Nick, there's some other guys that are getting some nice checks now. Some of them, before they've even played a snap what in, a, of college. Of what a professional segue oh. from Zachary Albaverde. <laughs> I mean, listen, there are some deals and contracts being drawn up mm-hmm. right now. Obviously, a lot from Gator Collective. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw our, our, our friend Jen getting carpal tunnel from all the uh, <laughs> contracts she was writing up. But but it is. I mean, there's going to be some guys now, Nick, that some might not even need to play in, a, in the NFL. Might even need to get drafted. They'll make a fortune in college and just hang up their cleats after their eligibility's up. Nah, that wouldn't have been me. That was not that was not my not my athletic ability, but I mean it, it is crazy to see how quickly um, and expeditiously some of these deals have mm. just gone out. And, and you know, we mentioned Ruiz in the first segment, how some of them are being out there with mm-hmm. it and not hiding the fact that this is what's happening. And um, I don't know what type of regulation there there can be, and, and because we are talking about. Um, name, image, and likeness, and athletes being able to to benefit from that. I don't know how you can cap that or put a limit mm-hmm. on it or on a collective. Um, but, I, you know, as we stressed, you know, a few weeks ago when I wrote about after we interviewed Marcus Castro-Walker, like, this was coming. Uh, Lane Kiffin's been barking about it for months mm-hmm. and months, but, like, now we are seeing that you're either going to get with it or you're going to get rolled over. Uh, and it's not just, like we mentioned before, it's not just the recruits. Um you look at, uh, I think, the offensive lineman from Georgia, Mims, goes on a, a trip to Tallahassee, You know, hits the portal, goes on a trip to Tallahassee. Hey, what do you guys have to offer? Ah, it's all right. Grass isn't always greener. I'm going to nope. go back. Literally okay. not greener. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's like I'm, I'm sure Georgia had something set up for him when, yeah. he, when he gets back to campus after that visit. So it, it's like we said, you know, that, that, that war chest that Billy Napier is calling it isn't even for – this 2023, 2022 signing class, it, it's just to keep the guys you have. Yeah. Um, so when you talk about needing $10 million, $12, $15 million, that's just to keep the Anthony Richardsons. That's just to keep the Jervon Dexters, just to keep Ventro Millers, just to keep Ventro Miller, uh, yeah. who's in his sixth year. And listen, can you imagine what Florida's defense would be like without Ventro Miller I this can. season? I, yeah. I watched it last year. Yeah. It was terrible. And that's why they made sure, okay, he's one of the first guys that's, yeah. that we're writing up a contract for to make sure that he stays put so that somebody who loses 
their starting middle linebacker because their school and its collective didn't have the funds that a mm-hmm. Gator collective does, and now that guy's gone. They they're scrambling now to do something um, and, and try and find a guy. So uh, look, I mean, as I mentioned, things could be a lot worse for Florida. They still have a ways to go, but they've gotten to the point at least now that they can keep the top athletes that are on the football roster and also, you know, hopefully prevent some other ones from being poached away. Although we have to see the effects of this after we get to May 1st and all the dust settles and we see where all the guys go uh, from all the colleges around the country. Because we're we're sitting here um, and, and right now only Chris Howard has transferred out and I'm looking at my scholarship chart and I know everyone at Gators online wants me to update that. I'm like, after May 1st, I will update who's left, but Florida's still over 85 guys. So yeah. like Billy Napier says they want to be active in the transfer portal. Very aggressive was the, I think the words he yeah. used. Um, and right now you can't be like, you have to get some guys to transfer and May 1st is the deadline uh, to be eligible to play a fall sport. That's not just football. That's soccer, volleyball, any of the sports you have to be in the portal by May 1st to be able to uh, have eligibility to play in the fall. So I'm looking at Florida's roster and I'm like, you, if you're going to be aggressive, you got to lose like 10 guys. Yeah. I wonder if there are some that have already made their decision. Is there guys that are, are trying to make reservations before they, they go officially? Are there some guys that are waiting for finals week to be over and just let the semester mm-hmm. in? They don't want the distraction while they're trying to take a, you know, a, one of the smart classes that chief borders takes, yeah, you know, they don't, yeah. and they don't want that distraction. Well, it's Cause it's like when we talked to Valentino about it and he was like, uh, you know, or not Valentino, sorry, um, Osiris about it. It's like 30 minutes after uh, they told me I was in the portal, boom, boom, boom. numbers start calling. And if you have four tests that you're studying for uh, finals week, maybe that's not a distraction that you're looking to have. I, and I, again, I'm uh, I'm just speculating on the delay, but by the time you guys are hearing this podcast, there might be one or two guys that have already entered the portal. Um, there are still more to come. There's no doubt about it, but it is going to be interesting to see the domino effect around college football because, as we've mentioned, Florida was able to keep its top players Mm -hmm. from not even getting to the point that they were going to even entertain offers and shop Mm -hmm. around. We're happy with what you guys have offered. From a collective standpoint, we're staying put. And And make no mistake about it, teams were – Interested in Anthony Richardson, Javon Dexter, Jason Marshall. And that's not to to say they were looking to walk, but – they would have gotten offers. There's no doubt yes. about it. You know? and, and that's going to be the new reality. And, and Billy Napier, I think, has called it free agency. And I think that's kind of what we're getting towards. There's going to have to be a market correction. Um, and, and the a way, cap. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe but, a salary but, cap. But here's the thing. Florida kept its top players. There's going to be several dozens of schools across the country that will not be able to mm-hmm. because they don't have a collective or they don't have mm-hmm. – UF boosters. They don't have a Hugh Hathcock that's mm-hmm. going to come through and 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 raise five million dollars. So when some of these programs this comes up, they're going to lose their top players, um, and then there's going to be a domino effect from that because now they're scrambling. They're trying to you know upgrade the talent on their roster because of the losses that they just incurred. You're going to go now and and look at Florida, look at some other schools that are power five programs that have guys that are backups or guys that were five-star recruits like Corey Collier that you mentioned uh, that are going to say, hey, you're not getting an opportunity to start. We just lost some of our top guys in the portal. You can come here and start for us. And and, and there's going to be some that take them up on that. So it's not necessarily just um, the top guys. It's the backups. It's everybody on the roster. Mm -hmm. That's why Florida 
uh, the Gator Collective more specifically is is hoping to have 50, 60 athletes and why you need to have all of them signed. It's not just, oh, we're just going to sign the top guys. No, you need everybody signed. You need to make sure that you have a situation set up to where all these guys feel like they're getting NLI opportunities. They're having uh, opportunities to profit and, and make some money and that they're not going to go look around for somewhere better to do it. Yeah, I think there might need to be a market correction just in terms. So like, the way the contracts work is, you, you know, like let, let's go with John Ruiz and, and the Kansas State basketball player because it was reported that you get a car um, and you're getting uh, 400K. 400K a year. He's not going to get a check every other week like you would if you had a regular job. You have to do things yep. to earn that money, whether that's the Gator Collective has those spaces events on Twitter yeah. uh, that the guys participate in, um, autograph signings, meet and greets, um, the podcast coming on the podcast, things like that. You have to earn that. And like how much stuff do, do you have to do to earn $400,000 <laughs> as a student athlete when it's supposed to be fair market value? You're not getting $50,000 to be on a Twitter spaces yeah. uh, for two hours. That's not fair market value. Um, so I think there's going to be, there has to be some kind of regulation into it. Cause uh, I mean, I'm all for the players getting paid. Um, but like, you're not NIL is not supposed to be to get players to sign at a certain place. Um, it's supposed to be profiting from your name, image and likeness. Not here's $800,000. Please come play to this play for the school or I enjoy or, or $8 million. Yeah. That I enjoy rooting for. Yeah. Um, and then what happens if that guy, that kid, I forget his name, the kid that goes to Tennessee, I probably can't pronounce his name either. That goes to Tennessee for $8 million. What if he wants to transfer two years in? Well, what 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 what's what's the language in that contract? Yeah, if he's not happy with it, he, he ends up not being the starter. Yeah, what, what imagine he, that. What if he transfers to Georgia after a year? Is, is Tennessee's collective still paying him to do, or did they overpay? You know, I I don't know. I would like to see the language in some of these contracts. Um, but yeah, it, it it's we're we're in the wild wild west right now. We are uh, we are discovering new lands. And, <laughs> and there's not an established government or law abiding, uh, you know, or, 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 or any law with that, that we're following right now. So it's, it's uncharted territory. And, uh, I think pirates like John Ruiz are kind of, uh, owning the sea right now. Yeah. And I, I think it's important that Florida's has the progress has made the progress that it has, um, with guys like you have and the other folks that have put up, you know, the million dollars to get there. Um, you know, Florida still has a ways to go. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that. And they've been I, I at heard, the forefront I, but of I, it. I heard Darren Heitner come on Stadium and Gale with you guys and, and, and mention when Silk asked him at the end, where would you rank Florida? And he said near the top. Or I, I just, I don't think that that's, that's, they're there yet. I mean, Tennessee literally offered a guy an $8 million contract. And I know that they don't have all that money there probably, or maybe they do. Um, but that's kind of the ballpark that they're trying to be at. Um, I think, but is that their whole budget? Did they put is, their, yeah. did they put their whole budget into one player? There is, but you have a crazy billionaire in Coral right Gables just throwing out millions of dollars. There is schools right now that are in, have tens over 10 million in an IL mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So Florida's not there yet. Although I will say they can get there. Mm-hmm. They are absolutely capable of being one of the programs in the country that has 10 to 20 million in NIL funds per year for its athletes, not just football players for its athletes. And if you think that that's far fetched or that Florida can't get to that, think again. Like, I mean, 
look at all the donations that have happened just in the last five years for what Hugh just put up the twelve point six million dollar donation, the but coaching, see, that, the coaching buyouts, the facility oh. upgrades. Uh, there's a lot of guys that uh, that are donors that have the money. I just think they've spent a lot of it in the last five years. Mm. Um, a lot of a lot of buyouts. Yeah, <laughs> a lot I of mean, buyouts. Imagine if that the the gentleman that that helped raise money for Dan Mullen's buyouts, if that twelve million was actually going to NIL instead. Mm. Right now, if it was going to the Gator Guard, and you had seventeen million instead of in, five million in seventy two hours. So I mean, it, they Florida has donors and boosters that are capable of doing. I think it's just a matter of them getting on board. Uh, Stop firing coaches. Yeah. Them giving, (laughs) getting some time to like catch their breath on all the, all the money that they've spent with, you know, the new facility, the, the complex that's coming out. I mean, it's a lot. Well, here's an interesting question. What, when does, you know, it's been a facilities arms race for so long. Um, I think there is going to be some cannibalism at UF. Hugh Hathcock donates $12.6 million to Gator boosters. That's not going to NIL. That's not going to facilities, yeah, which is why is, he created the Gator Guard. Is the facilities arms race done, and does that money now move and be allocated to NIL? Because hey, we don't need to build a seventy-five million dollar standalone facility. We need seventy-five million dollars to get good players on our team and yeah. to keep the players on our team. So you're going to see a shift in where money is going because yeah. it, it was just hey, For we facilities, need facilities, we need facilities. we need we need a soft serve ice cream machine in our locker room. Why? Because Alabama has one, so we need one. And and I don't know why. We, we need just an indoor. Need, we just need it. We need an indoor. We need all these facilities. And, and listen, they're still going to be they're, – they're still trying to raise money for uh, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Exp- yeah. uh, not expansion, um, but renovations, especially in the southeast end zone. And they're looking at um, seats and, and how to make it a better game day atmosphere. But that's millions of dollars that isn't going to go into the pockets or to recruits or, or to NIL. So there's definitely going to be – there's lots of hands out at not just the University of Florida, but everywhere. And, yeah. and UF wants donations. Gator Boosters wants donations. Uh, the Gator Collective, Gator Guard, the Gator Guard. Listen, the the Gator the Gator Collective lets you know would let you and I let's see every the everyday fan um, uh, offer money, uh, be a part of it. Uh, the Gator Guard. Uh, there's a net worth you have to be at, and a minimum donation that I don't think uh, a lot of us can afford. You or I could not combine even to come close. I don't think so. No. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, be happy if you're a Florida fan <clears throat> that you are on the right path. Yeah. Because let me tell you what. A month ago, two months ago, Florida was not there. Had a lot of work to do. And I think um, the situation could look a lot more bleak than just Daryl Jackson going to Miami. Just leave it at that. Uh, we'll see where the dust Ooh. settles. People were in their feelings, though. Uh, man, you would have thought that Kayvon Thibodeau just <laughs> decided to go to uh, Miami over Florida. But, uh, again, we'll see where all the dust settles. Florida does have another transfer that's uh, scheduled to visit this weekend. The Arizona State receiver, mm-hmm. they're definitely looking to add some speed to that position. So he's a guy that could potentially um, be another guy for them in the slot. So we'll see how that trip goes this weekend. And other any other transfers that – either enter the portal from Florida or any guys that come onto Florida's radar as more guys start to put their names in the portal. So a uh, busy week ahead. And I think once May 1st gets here, we'll, we'll have a better, clear picture of where Florida's roster's at. Yeah. You know? It's kind of just been waiting for the shoe to drop all week. And, yes. and it's just hanging in midair. 
It is. Uh, and obviously, I think a, a lot of Florida f- uh, baseball fans are, are hoping that this Whew. team can, uh, you know, get some things going, get a shoe to drop, so to speak. Yeah, this is uh, <clears throat> the worst SEC start the Gators have ever had in Kevin O'Sullivan's 15 years uh, leading the program. So uh, not a banner here. Um, a lot of what happened in college baseball was uh, when COVID happened, it canceled the season in 2020, uh, 16, 17, 18 games in, depending on what, where, you know, what team you were. Um, everyone got a blanket for a year. So college baseball, the past two years is, is a lot older uh, six year guys. I mean, Florida has Garrett Milchin, who was on the 2017 team. He was on the national championship team. He's in his sixth year already. Crazy. He's finishing his second master. So shout out to Garrett Milchin. Um, he could even come back. He hasn't even used his COVID year. He's used uh, two medical red shirts from having Tommy John twice. Um, he might be Professor Milchin pitching <laughs> next year for the Gators. By being with, with me. Yeah. <laughs> Professor Albaverde and Milchin. Um, so Florida didn't change their philosophy. They they've really only gone to the portal one time. Um, they they hit on the portal with BT Ryapel this year. He's he's been their starting right. catcher and one of their best players. But they stuck to their their formula, and that's recruit as well as we can in the high school ranks. And Florida had the number one recruiting class last year. It was a really big uh, freshman class, and I think you're seeing Florida being young. The Tennessee team. I'm going through their roster, and it was senior, 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 junior, senior. Um, and I'm like, Florida has one senior on the roster. And that's Garrett Milchin. And the only reason he's there is because he's had Tommy John surgery twice. <laughs> um, so I think you're seeing a young team, um, but still it, it's no excuse. But at some point, you know, they got to start winning. At some point, a guy like Blake Purnell, like, hey, you might be a retro freshman, but you've made 26 appearances. You're not a freshman anymore. Like you have the experience. So using the youth can't be um, that excuse anymore. Um, right, basically, Florida is at six and 12. Four series left. So you have 12 games left. I'm going through all of the the close calls. In 2013, they won 14 games, barely made the NCAA tournament, went 0-2 in the Indiana Regional. 2019, had the worst trip of my life to Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock is not a place you need to be or you want to be. No. uh, No need to ever go back to Lubbock. And unlike Vegas, you didn't have a good time. It wasn't bad. It was just, there's, there's no easy way to get to Lubbock. I looked at like five different airports and all of them are four. I think every airport is four and a half hours away from Lubbock. <laughs> and, and listen, the uh, journalists don't have like flying into Lubbock money. So I had to fly in and then drive four and a half hours to, to Lubbock for that. And then Florida goes uh, one and two and, and gets bounced out of there. Uh, that year, I think they won 13 SEC games. That's the number that they have to get to. Um, lucky number, 13. lucky number 13. And, and sure. I mean, I could point to, a handful of games that if one or two plays, one or two pitchers go differently, Florida is, you know, six games better. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about a team that's, you know, 12 and six. I definitely would have, should have won on Sunday. Should have won on Sunday. Uh, down to your final out, up up three runs, and, and you end up losing the game. I was in the stands as a spectator. I thought my undefeated streak was going to continue. It did and- not. I found out that it was only a midweek streak. Only a midweek streak, yeah. <laughs> as, as Nick... Uh, uh, predicted all along so um we could not have predicted uh after uh hiring two coaches three technically mm-hmm. that scott strickland would be once again looking for another one to hire but he's back on the market as uh after one season he has dismissed 
Florida soccer coach Tony Amato on Wednesday, um, citing his inability to kind of build relationships with the players and, and work well within the program. So um, he is once again going through a coaching Man, search. Man, I really like Scott. Um, done a lot of introductory press conferences. He has. He's he done has. a lot of introductory press conferences, and uh, I joked with him about that and said, hey, man, I want to stop going to these. Um, I don't know if I'll be at the soccer one, but but it is another one. <laughs> it is. So, I mean, I think that obviously that's something that he's going to have to now shift his focus to. Uh, you know, fortunately, spring is now over with, and, uh, you know, it's not easy to replace a legend in, in Becky Burley, and, and we're, we're seeing that now. And obviously got to get somebody in there that's going to create the right culture. Maybe that was the strategy. You, you never want to be the guy that follows the guy. You want to be the guy that follows that other guy. Yeah. Uh, and Scott was just like, hey, let's make a really bad hire after Becky Burley, and then we'll make a good hire after that because then that person's not following a legend. He's following the guy I canned after a year. Yeah, I don't think that was a strategy. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm just, you know, just spitballing here. Maybe it could have been. I don't, I don't know if it was, but it could have been. Yeah, well, we'll see uh, what Florida's strategy is going to be transfer portal wise, and not just obviously uh, Billy Napier, but Todd Golden and his staff mm-hmm. staying busy trying to uh, close out their final two spots on the roster. So we are tracking it all at Gators Online. Make sure you guys stay locked in to all of that. Corey Bender's recruiting updates. We'll be back in here next week. Appreciate Trevor for joining us to preview the NFL draft. For Nick Del Torre, I'm Zach Albaverde.